Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. This week we're going syndicated and coast to coast. Donna, what's our episode? We are discussing Sparky. The air date was the 24th of December, 1979, written by P.J. Tarakvi and Stephen Campman. Story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter. And it was directed by Rod Daniel. Andy tells Les that Arthur hired someone else to do the sports reporting on the radio. The former manager of the Reds baseball team, Sparky Anderson, who is a hero to Arthur. When Sparky is a disaster on the radio, Arthur has to fire him. Okay, first off, random bit of trivia. This is the second episode of WKRP where the guest star was named Sparky. The other time was Sparky Marcus Asolio and Young Master Carlson. Also, this episode is airing on Christmas Eve. It has nothing to do with Christmas, not the Christmas episode that they ran last week. And I think of the phrase that Howard Hessman used, brain-damaged executives running this thing (laughs) on Christmas Eve. So... This script was a spec. P.J. Tarangvi and Stephen Campman tell the story in America's favorite radio station. They got Hugh Wilson's attention with that redub of the Cisco Kid. Well, Hugh wanted to see what they could do with the script specifically for the show. This is what they came up with. Campman and Tarakvi had come from Second City in Toronto. They knew nothing about writing a sitcom. In order to complete the assignment, they found a book that told them how to write a 30-minute sitcom. Then they sat down with tapes of the show. Performing in live theater with Second City meant these guys were working at the same time when primetime shows were airing. Remember, this is before streaming and even really before commonly available VCRs. They didn't have a chance to see the show when it aired and had not seen a single episode before sitting down to write this one. They were given some tapes of the show so they could learn about the characters and figure out what they'd write. PJ said they came into it with a superior attitude. They were ready to mock the lowly TV sitcom. These were cutting-edge comedy guys, working for Second City after all. They were blown away by WKRP's laughs. As PJ said, these were the best jokes we'd ever seen on television and some of the best jokes we'd ever heard. They were excited about working on such a quality show. They decided to see what personal payoffs they could get out of the script. Both Campman and Tarakvi had always wanted to meet the legendary Cincinnati Reds manager, Sparky Anderson. So why not write something focused on Sparky? He was the manager of the Reds. It would make perfect sense to have him doing a show on a Cincinnati radio station. While they were writing this episode, Sparky got fired from the Reds. He took a job with Detroit the next spring. That was a hurdle, but Hugh Wilson decided it wasn't enough to sideline the episode. It even gave Sparky his great firing line towards the end of the show. They also said Sparky was great to work with and a huge contributor to the episode. He shared dozens of stories while on the set. His comments about what it means to fire a kid from second base were taken word for word from a Sparky story. Let's get into the episode. We start out in the studio. Les is at the mic finishing up his shift with a sports report. And finally, in sports, the Baltimore City Council announced today it will be moving to Anaheim by 1985. 
band since its last. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Upper right forearm. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. And that's sports. Up to the minute with Les Nesman. I kind of feel like the story editors take current headlines and throw them in a blender. The result is Les's skewed take on a story. This appears to be a reference to the Baltimore Colts, but there's also some Rams info thrown in. The Colts were the NFL team from Baltimore. Ultimately, the Colts relocated to Indianapolis, Indiana, in the dead of night on March 28th of 1984. This didn't come out of the blue. The team owner, Robert Ursay, had been threatening to move the team going back as far as 1976. Ursay wanted Baltimore to build the team a new stadium. The city wouldn't do it. Ursay had threatened to move the team to Indianapolis, also to Memphis, Tennessee, and Jacksonville, Florida. His threats always involved moving several years in the future. When Les says they're going to Anaheim by 1985, this appears to also reference the surprise move the Rams made from L.A. Coliseum to Anaheim earlier that year. Okay, back in the studio, Les turns the mic over to Johnny, who announces an upcoming concert. There are lots, and I do mean lots, of free tickets still available for the big Jerry Vale, Gary U.S. Bonds concert. That's coming up this weekend at the Wingy Manone Memorial Mall. We love the call back to Wingy. We covered Wingy extensively <laughs> in the season one episode Hold Up. Dell Stereo and Sound 24679, Pugner just south of Strake and Grambling, one block south of the Wingy Manone Memorial Mall, across the street from where the men without work hang out. A quick recap. Wingy Manone was a one-armed trumpet player from New Orleans. He had nothing to do with Cincinnati. We're guessing Hugh Wilson knew about Wingy, and that's how we get the references. Even though Wingy's Mall is a memorial, remember, Wingy was alive when this episode aired. Johnny mentioned free tickets to a Jerry Vale and Gary U.S. Bonds concert. Jerry Vale, born Gennaro Louis Vitaliano in 1930, was an American singer and actor. During the 1950s and 60s, Jerry Vale reached the top of the pop charts with his interpretations of romantic ballads. You give your hand to me And then you say hello And I can hardly speak My heart is beating so And anyone could tell You think you know me well but you don't know me. Vale, who was of Italian descent, sang numerous songs in Italian, many of which were used in soundtracks by films of Martin Scorsese. He made cameo appearances as himself in the 1990 film Goodfellas and the 1995 film Casino, both directed by Martin Scorsese. Vale suffered a stroke in 2002 and stopped performing. Jerry Vale died in his sleep in 2014 of natural causes at the age of 83. The other entertainer was Gary U.S. Bonds. Gary U.S. Bonds was born Gary Lavone Anderson in 1939. He's an American rhythm and blues and rock and roll singer known for his classic hits New Orleans and Quarter to Three. Producer Frank Guida chose Anderson's stage name. He was hoping it would be confused with a public service announcement advertising the sale of government bonds and thereby garner more attention from DJs. I don't know how great an idea that was, but that was his idea. Bond's only number one hit was Quarter to Three. It hit number one in June of 1961, selling one million records and earning a gold disc. Was on the sax with the girls of and I was dancing all over the room. 
In the early 1980s, Gary U.S. Bonds had a mini-career resurgence when he collaborated with Bruce Springsteen. This little girl, his comeback hit in 1981, made it to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. So you don't want to miss that one, babies. You better get ready. After promoting the free concert, Johnny goes into the song Don't Let Go by Jerry Lee Lewis as Andy enters the studio. Buster, can I talk to you a second? Sure, Andy, what can I do for you? Andy asks Johnny if he would mind. He'd like to talk to Les alone for a minute. Johnny turns the volume down. Not at all. Someone should. <laughs> but Johnny doesn't move. Well, you know, Andy walked into basically Johnny's office. That's where Johnny's working. I, I wouldn't expect Johnny to get up and leave, really. It was kind of wrong of Andy to ask that. And I think he should have asked Les to come to his office. Kind of get the feeling getting Les to come to an appointment might be tough. He's way too busy. One, two, three, four. Go! It's 9.05. KRP is rocking you in Cincinnati with the killer Jerry Lee Lewis. Don't Let Go is a song that was written originally by Jesse Stone. Stone also wrote Shake, Rattle, and Roll under the pseudonym Chuck Calhoun. This is Jerry's second recording of this song. He originally recorded it in 1965 for his album, The Return of Rock. This version, the one Johnny's playing, was a new recording of the same song done for his 1979 album, Jerry Lee Lewis. This is the second song that Johnny has been pushing off of that Jerry Lee Lewis album. We also heard Rockin' My Life Away at the beginning of Baby If You've Ever Wondered. So that album getting a lot of exposure. The poster behind Andy is a 1980 promo poster for Swan Song, which was Led Zeppelin's label. This poster isn't for any one album. It is promoting the entire catalog. It shows pictures of all nine of their studio albums. Now, if you look out in the hallway, there is a poster. It's a promo poster for Joe Jackson's I'm the Man album. You can see Joe in kind of a fedora leaning down. It was released in October 1979 the follow-up to Look Sharp. It featured the single It's Different for Girls. Which did very well in the UK and Ireland, but only peaked at number 101 here in the US. It was unable to break into the Hot 100. Andy, talking to Les, begins by listing all the things that Les is responsible for. You got the news, you got the sports, you got the weather, you you got the traffic, you've got your award-winning farm reports. You've been very good about letting Bailey help you with the news. Les tells Andy to not forget Carlson's idea for a new sports interview show. Andy tells Les that Arts hired someone else for that job. Les asks who Mr. Carlson hired for the position. Does the name Sparky mean anything to you? Does it? Black and white collie ran away from home, broke my heart. Johnny is hugging. Poor Johnny. <laughs> Johnny's hugging the Jerry Lee Lewis album cover, looking off as he remembers his lost dog, Sparky. Les tells Andy that he knows that Sparky Anderson is the manager of the Cincinnati Redlegs. Andy reminds Les that he was fired last season. He was? Oh, yeah, I remember that. And is now the manager of the Detroit Tigers. He is? Oh, yeah, I remember that, too. <laughs> Les is just kind of a little unsure about some of these things. Les asks Andy if Sparky shouldn't be in Detroit. Baseball season's over, Les. Well, I knew that, Travis. <laughs> Andy explains to Les that Art wants to go coast-to-coast coast with this show, which really seems way beyond Art's capabilities. But he was wanting a celebrity as the host, a national hero. He's secured Sparky Anderson, and he thinks... That's going to be his ticket to coast-to-coast -coast syndication, but Les is not happy. Andy tells Les that he was hoping he would understand. I'm sure that Sparky will be a great asset to the station. <laughs> Les leaves the studio, letting the door slam loudly. You really think he means that? Andy asks Johnny if he thinks Les means that. Johnny says, no. <laughs> I hate looking like a bad guy. Hey. You never look bad. 
I know. <laughs> Andy smiles and gives the rock on symbol as he leaves the studio. So Sparky Anderson is going to be the newest staff member at WKRP. Anderson was an American League player, coach, and manager. He was born George Lee Anderson in South Dakota in 1934. He managed the Cincinnati Reds to two World Series championships in 1975 and 1976. But then the aging Reds finished second to the Dodgers in 1977 and 78. So in November of 1978, Sparky was fired as manager of the Reds. He was hired to manage the Detroit Tigers in June of 1979. Sparky had another one in him. He would lead the Tigers to a World Series in 1984, becoming the first manager to win the World Series in each league. Sparky was fired from Cincinnati about the same time Campman and Tarakvi were writing this script. Sparky passed away in November of 2010 from dementia. He was 76 years old. Les used the term Red Legs. He's the manager of the Cincinnati Red Legs. The Reds were only known as the Red Legs for a brief period, from 1953 to 1959. The Reds were the first professional baseball team. In 1869, they were known as the Red Stockings. They were the Red Stockings until 1881 when they became the Reds. The name change happened because they were kicked out of the National League for selling beer. Oh, man, I can't believe that. (laughs) They reformed in the American Association, which later became the American League, under the name Reds. In 1953, because of the McCarthy Red Scare, the team didn't want to be associated with the word Red. It sounded like they were supporting those dirty Red commies. They adopted the name Red Legs until McCarthyism had faded away. And that's our cold open. Here comes the theme song. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back from commercial in the bullpen. If you look out the window of the bullpen on the far wall, you'll see a poster for Joan Armitrading. She is a black British singer-songwriter. She released 19 studio albums in her career starting in 1973. This poster is promoting her 1979 four-song, one-sided EP called How cruel. In the bullpen, we see Les sitting at his desk in his office when a white-haired gentleman wearing a gray and white plaid jacket enters the bullpen. Hi, excuse me. I'm looking for Arthur Carlson. Excuse me? Hello? Hello? Les does not respond. Jennifer enters the bullpen. He can't hear you. His door is shut. (laughs) That's Les Nesman, and I'm Jennifer Marlowe. Sparky Anderson. She shakes hands with Sparky as he tells her his name. Jennifer tells him that she went to every Reds home game until he left. Box 110, row 6C. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great line. Jennifer is surprised. Yes, that was her seat. He tells her he almost broke his neck trying to get a look at her. Carlson enters the bullpen, very excited to see Sparky. As he is welcoming Sparky to WKRP, he notices the championship ring on Sparky's finger. This is championship ring? It's one of them. Andy enters. Oh, uh, let me introduce you to uh, uh, um, Andy Travis. Yeah, our program director. Andy shakes hands with Sparky as Bailey enters. Hi, Sparky. I'm Bailey. Hi, Bailey. Then Johnny. Hi, Sparky. I'm Johnny. Fuzzy, Binky, and Cubby will be along. (laughs) M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Yes, Johnny's making a Mouseketeers joke. There really was a cubby in the 1955 lineup of the original Mouseketeers, but I didn't find what were the other ones, Buzzy and Binky? Didn't find those guys. His name was Carl Patrick Cubby O'Brien. He joined the club at age nine and was a regular cast member for three years. Fun side note about Cubby, he's a working session drummer. He was also the touring drummer for The Carpenters when they performed live starting in 1973 and continuing through the early 80s. Although Karen was also a drummer, she usually stayed out front during live shows. If you look closely, we see a huge boom shadow 
passing over Johnny and Bailey just before they cut back to Carlson and Sparky. We've been noticing a lot of Boom's shadows since the start of Season 2, and we're not really sure why, but they're all over the place. If you start to become aware of them, you'll see them a lot. Carlson asked Sparky if he's met Les yet. Well, when I yelled at him, he didn't hear me. His door was shut. (laughs) Carlson looks around and asks where Herb is. He called. But he went. Oh, it's just too embarrassing. I'd rather not say. <laughs> and she leaves the bullpen. I wonder what he wonder what he said. I don't know. Just his usual herb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the posters keep coming fast and furious. They're changing all the time. Out in the hallway, we can see a foreigner poster. This is the new one for Double Vision. It's in the spot that had been that fog hat poster for most of the first half of season two. Through the door on the far wall of the hallway is a Herb Alpert Rise promo poster. Art tells Sparky that Herb is the sales manager and he should be arriving at any time with the sponsor for the new sports show. Herb's a jackass. (laughs) Tell it like it is, Johnny. Andy tells Sparky that he needs to talk with him and go over some details. Sparky asks if they should meet in Andy's office or his. So we get you your office. I was going to say that my office is your office. Carlson tells Andy that he wants Sparky to use his office. Hell, Art, you don't have to do that. Listen, Sparky, this is my team. I call the shots here, okay? (laughs) Okay, so Sparky has arrived on the day of this show, and they are just now going to sit down and figure out what they're going to do with show this is wkrp yeah and andy looks at sparky (laughs) and tells him that art said he's always wanted to do a show like this not really Mm, i think art has always wanted to do a show like this and he's looking a little uncomfortable yeah but you've had a lot of experience in broadcasting not really (laughs) art shuffling back and forth from one foot to the other he's looking really uncomfortable now not really but art says you don't have to know anything about this business but yeah that's true you don't have to know anything about this business so art and the sparky head out of the bullpen now we're in the lobby and carlson is excited and talking to jennifer about how this was a big decision how it could go national i think sparky is cute you're darn right he's cute (laughs) sparky's cute carlson continues singing sparky's praises asking her if she knows what he's done for cincinnati he's given Two World Series, four pennants, and six divisions. Jennifer corrects Carlson. Five divisions. Well, okay, five divisions. <laughs> that man is still the best manager in baseball. Art tells Jennifer he thinks Sparky got a raw deal in this town. He goes on to explain he will personally do all he can to make it up to him. What about Mama? Art tells Jennifer not to worry about Mama. Once and for all, she's going to find out that... I'm running things down here. Okie dokie, if you think so. (laughs) Herb enters the lobby with a very imposing man wearing a Stetson hat and carrying a small can with a bow on top. Carlson hurries over to shake hands with the man, telling him that it's good to see him. This is Cal Owens, the sponsor for the new sports show. Herb is standing next to Cal with his hand on his shoulder. And oh, wow. It's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. Sienna-colored shiny plaid pants with a golden rod and white plaid shirt underneath a shiny sienna-colored <laughs> vest. Gold, brown, and white striped tie and a burnt orange pleather coat. That coat is really something. (laughs) Before we go on, let's talk about Cal and Herb's entrance into the lobby from outside. Cal is a large man, and Herb tried to go through the door with him at the same time. I'm a pretty big guy, and I know what it's like trying to go through a door next to someone. Unfortunately, the smaller person is going to get slammed, and that's what happened to Herb. Herb did not want to let go of Cal. (laughs) He had his arm hooked into Cal's and didn't slow Cal down at all. He just came right on in and smashed Herb. You know what I was thinking about when that happened? There was a dog food commercial where there was a little tiny dog walking along next to a big bulldog and just kept jumping over him and talking to him. That's what this felt like, is Herb's the little tiny dog and Cal is the bulldog coming through the door there. Cal! Good to see you. Welcome back. Hey, we know Cal. Cal is being played by Hugh Gillen. Hugh is a returning guest star playing a different role. Hugh guest starred as a news reporter for radio station WPIG in the season one episode, Love Returns 
We did a full bio on Hugh in the WKRP cast episode covering Love Returns, so go check it out. Cal tells Art that he and his wife have just returned from Las Vegas, and they saw all of the shows. That Norman Crosby sure Norman. is Norman. <laughs> and Buddy Hackett. Bud. He came out and talked just filthy for a whole hour. Fear dirt. Cal mentions a couple of them in particular. Norm Crosby is one. Norm Crosby is an American comedian originally from Boston, Massachusetts. He was known as the master of malaprop. He would replace words with other words that sounded similar but had an entirely different meaning. In the late 1970s and early 80s, Crosby was a pitch man for Anheuser-Busch Natural Light. This is a great tasting light beer, but even a good articulator like me has trouble renouncing the name, so I just asked for a natural. That's easy to vocalize. Cal also mentions Buddy Hackett. Buddy Hackett had a clean reputation on television and in the movies. He appeared in Disney movies such as Herbie the Love Bug. He was also the voice of Scuttle in The Little Mermaid. On TV, Buddy Hackett made the most guest appearances in the history of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. I'm here tonight yes. to talk about the First Amendment. Uh-huh. I am not con- I'm not a real citizen, and including with Freddie and this show, A three-letter word meaning the rear end of a person. I am not allowed to say it on this show. That's correct. You say it once in a while and get away once in a while. No, President Carter said it about a senator, and he got away with it. And I'm not allowed to say it. George Bush also said it about Geraldine uh, Ferraro. Each time he appeared, if he did stand up, it would, of course, be clean. That's why people were shocked when they would see his Las Vegas act. By all accounts, including Cal's, Hackett's stage show was filthy. Without the FCC or Disney to rein him in, Hackett got dirty. Fear dirt. Herb's laughing and inserting little one-word comments in here and there, trying to be a part of the conversation. Arthur. And we at Sunlux are very enthusiastic about sponsoring the Sparky Anderson show. Carlson tells Cal he thinks they're sitting on a gold mine. There's a history of petroleum refining in Cincinnati. KGN Petroleum is based in Cincinnati, Ohio, and is currently a major player in oil refining and home heating oil distribution. Andy and Sparky come out of Carlson's office. Herb is beside himself. It's Sparky. That, that is, it's Spar- they, do you know, they, they, Sparky. Sparky, oh God, it's Sparky. I know who you are, but I'll bet. I'll just bet you don't know who I am. I'll bet you're Herb Tarlick. Johnny mentioned you. Herb is speechless. Herb's a jackass. (laughs) That's a great callback. Carlson tries to introduce Cal to Sparky, but Herb has managed to get one arm around Cal and the other around Sparky, bringing the two together to shake hands while Herb himself is right between them. Herb puts both of his hands on the hands of Sparky and Cal, it's almost like some type of ceremony. I thought he was going to take a strip of linen and tie their hands together or something. It looked really <laughs> ceremonial. On behalf of the 7,000 employees of Sun Lux Petroleum, I would like to present you with a quart of our premium quality oil. <laughs> so Sparky takes the can of oil. Thank you, Mr. Owens, but I really don't know what to say. Well, with two hours of radio time, five days a week, Let's hope you think of something. (laughs) Oh, they all have a huge laugh about that, but I'm kind of concerned. How is Sparky going to fill two hours? And Herb, of course, the loudest and longest laugh of all. (laughs) Back in the studio, we have Bailey making preparations for the new show. And Venus is gathering his candles, blowing them out, putting them in a box. He is not happy about the schedule change. This is wrong. This is my slot. You think somebody would at least have the decency to tell me. Bailey is telling him, hey, it's Mr. Carlson's idea. There's a guy sitting in the studio reading a magazine or a comic book. Just some guy sitting there. Bailey goes over to the guy, adjusts the mic that's in front of him, and asks if she can get him anything. Oh, not for me, love. Okay. Oh, I'll tell a lie. Do you have any food? He's grabbed Bailey by her arm, and he seems a little earnest. 
She peels his fingers from her arm, telling him they only have junk food from a machine. Oh, smashing, that's perfect. The character of Derek is being played by Andrew Block. I love this guy. He is so funny. I love his accent. Just his timing and his deadpan delivery of everything. He's really funny. He started acting in 1975. He has 52 acting credits on his IMDb filmography. He appeared on a whole bunch of television, including Barney Miller and Matlock. He currently runs the Andrew Block Studio in Buena Park, California, and he gives acting lessons. And from everything we can tell, he is still active with the Andrew Block Studio. So Andy enters the studio with Sparky. Andy introduces Sparky to Venus. Boy, this is a real pleasure. You sure got a rotten deal in this town. (laughs) Then Bailey introduces Sparky to Derek Dougal of the Cincinnati Skids. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Mr. Anderson, I'd like you to meet Derek Dougal of the Cincinnati Skids. Derek, this is Mr. Sparky Anderson. Oh, yeah, the baseball player. Manager. Uh, Right. Do you have any food? (laughs) It sounds like both Bailey and Sparky are saying skids, but we found a Cincinnati Kids indoor soccer team, but they weren't kids. They were professional indoor soccer players. Yes, they were real. Pete Rose was a partial owner of the Cincinnati Kids indoor soccer team. They were in the MISL, and that stands for Major Indoor Soccer League. They played one season from 1978 until 79. They played 13 games at the Riverfront Coliseum. The team folded in March of 1979. This episode aired in December of 1979. So is Skids a joke, or could they not say kids? I don't know what's going on there, but it seems like they're saying Skids, because maybe this team was really on the Skids by that time. They weren't coming back. Andy shows Sparky where to sit, and he starts to give him a quick lesson on how to operate the board when Venus interrupts. You know, I know you're real busy here, Sparky, but (laughs) i got to ask you one thing. In the 75 series, I think it was game six, uh, the 10th inning, when Fisk came up to bat, did you intentionally think of walking him? I forget. Andy, how do you work these points? Game six of the 75 series was kind of a big deal. Carlton Fisk would go on to hit the game-winning home run in the bottom of the 12th inning. Bailey flies in with junk food from the vending machine for Derek and some papers for Sparky. I have a short biography here of Mr. Dougal and some possible questions and some out-of-town update scores in case you want to throw them in during the show. Venus interrupts again, talking about his time down in Texas with the AA League. Three years I was down in Texas, you know. (laughs) Boy, I worked like a dog. Never did get a break. Never got an offer from the big leagues. (laughs) How do you figure that? Venus will not give it a rest, and he sets up Derek for... The line of the episode. I guess you stunk, mate. (laughs) And, you know, we saw Venus play during baseball. He's not bad, but I don't know if he's major league quality. So Venus tells Sparky good luck when Les enters the studio. Les hands Andy a tape, telling him it's an intro for Sparky's show. He explains that he knows everyone's been busy and thought it would help. I'm sure the show will be a huge success. <laughs> Les leaves the studio. You think he means that? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, what were they planning to use for an intro? I don't think they had one. They were just going to have Sparky say hi. So or this... just like, here's Sparky Anderson. Yeah. No music, no real professional sounding intro. This talk show seems to have been thought through about as well as Bailey's show with Dr. Hyman Monroe. Andy tells Sparky it's time and to just relax. Venus brings them out of the song and starts the intro that Les brought in. Now, had you been watching the original version of this episode in 1979, Venus would have come out of Bob Marley's survival with a talkover. Here's what it sounded like from Dale Kovar's original disc. Okay, here we go. Yes, Brother Marley, we are the survivors, and this is Venus on the rise here. And I'm going in a holding pattern for about two hours, but I want you to stick around for something brand new. Shout Factory couldn't get clearance for survival, so we also lost the Venus talkover. We not only get generic music for Marley, we've also got someone trying to sound like Venus doing the outro. It sounds like the same person who did the talk transition when they lost Rise in Lover Money Part 1. Check it out. 
Here's the dubbed Venus voice from the Shout Factory disc. Okay, here we go. Yes, Brother Marlin, we are the Surf Riders, and this is Venus on the rise here, and I'm going to a holding pattern for about two hours, but I want you to stick around for something brand new. I don't know who they think they're fooling with those things. Then Venus rolls right into the never-before-heard less intro for Sparky's show. Les Nessman presents, in cooperation with WKRP Sports, usually done by Les Nessman, Sparky's Bullpen with Sparky Anderson. Hi, everybody, this is Sparky Anderson. Instead of Les Nessman. (laughs) Hi, everybody, this is Sparky Anderson, and welcome to the bullpen. Sparky introduces Derek and asks him to explain what indoor soccer is, being a new sport and all. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, It's soccer played indoors, like in a hockey rink. Sort of soccer hockey. Boy, that's an interesting combination. Well, what are the rules? I don't know, really. <laughs> I don't care. I see. How does your team look? Uh, mostly Venezuelan. Great. It's beautiful. Sparky tells the listeners to call in with any questions, and he gives them the phone number 555-WKRP. Which, if you look it up, is 555-9577. Sparky picks up those pages with the biography on it that Bailey brought in and starts asking questions from it. Sparky asks Derek if he ever gets homesick, saying he's from England. Between taking bites of the chips that Bailey brought him, Derek tells how he misses his mom's fried sheep's brains. (laughs) Spread on, on greasy bits of fried bread. It's lovely. We had to look fried sheep's brains up to see if this was a real thing, and it is a popular dish in Britain. Brains are supposed to be mild and sweet with a creamy texture. (laughs) This dish is made of brains from cows, sheep, or pigs that are less than a year old. The sale of brains from animals that are more than a year old is banned in the UK. Derek asks Sparky if he's ever had any fried sheep's brains. What? (laughs) I I said you ever have it. Okay, Derek, let's get over here to the phone. (laughs) Sparky's wanting to get away from that subject. He goes to the phones hoping to get a listener calling in with some questions for Derek. The person at the other end just asks Sparky how he is and then says goodbye. As Sparky is taking phone calls, he's doing this with no headphones. Normally, you would be listening to what the caller is saying through your headphones. You're talking back to them through the microphone. Sparky's just picking up a handset. And also, he has no screener. There's nobody answering those calls to make sure it's not a crackpot. No producer sending him in information about the callers. When you've got a nationally syndicated show, this is the kind of stuff that really should be happening. The second caller is voiced by Stephen Campman. Campman is one of the writers of this episode. Oh, like, hi, man. I'm calling about the free tickets. He is asking about the free tickets to the Jerry Vale Gary U.S. Bonds concert. I think you got the wrong number. Oh, like, is this WKRP? Sure is. Then I don't have the wrong number, pal. (laughs) Well, maybe I got the wrong number. (laughs) Derek has a great laugh. He laughs at this, and Sparky laughs, too, for a couple of seconds. Then we see Sparky give uh, his signature look at Derek. He might as well have called Derek a moron the way he's looking at him. Derek stops laughing. Looking at the bio sheets on Derek, Sparky tries to get some conversation started. I see here you're 28 years old. Yes, I am. I'll be 29 next year. (laughs) Oh, we got another call. How beautiful. <laughs> Back to the phones. Derek has got some great lines. This guy's killing. But to start a conversation, um, I see here that you're 28 years old. Well, how is that going to? What do you say about that? 29 next year, though. That's the best way to respond to that. Yes. The third try at a phone call is somebody needing the police, and Sparky hangs up on them. Well, all the lines are open. If you got any calls or any questions, just rush them in right away. We've only got an hour and 45 minutes to go. (laughs) 
Sparky and Derek just look at each other. They're not <laughs> saying anything, not knowing what to do. Sparky starts making the most bizarre small talk, and it's not going anywhere. You live around here? <laughs> no. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? <laughs> like Buddy the Elf. So Derek keeps eating his junk food, and we fade to a commercial break. We come back to the lobby, and we're guessing that this is later in the week. Jennifer's at her desk looking through her Rolodex when Mr. Carlson tries to sneak behind her and make his way into his office. His hand is almost on the doorknob. <laughs> Not your office anymore. He tells Jennifer he just needs to get a little something out of there. She tells him that Sparky is meeting with Andy and they're discussing a new format for the show. You think this one will work? Probably not. <laughs> Herb walks into the lobby. And it's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. This is number two for this episode. Navy blue, white, and lighter shades of navy blue plaid jacket with maroon collar and pocket flaps. White shirt with gray stripes, navy blue and white striped tie, and robin egg blue polyester pants with dark socks, which really set off his white shoes. If I had seen this one first, I don't know if I'd have issued an alert for the first one. The first one was out there, but this one is amazing. I don't know. You liked that pleather coat. Yeah, the pleather coat. But man, the red in this one, it looks like he's in some kind of military somewhere. You know, I have been trying to figure out all week long what is wrong with Sparky's show. Carlson said he's been thinking about it too, but Herb goes on to explain how he was having a little BBQ with his neighbor. Big Dick Mushimp. And I think he came up with an idea that is, believe me, bulletproof. Trivia show. You gotta listen to Big Dick. Big Dick Mushimp's gonna know. <laughs> Jennifer walks in just as Herb asks Carlson a trivia question. Who was the uh, shortstop for the 58 Milwaukee Braves? Johnny Logan. <laughs> Herb and Carlson are impressed. Herb asks Jennifer how she knew that. I study trivia. That's why I know everything there is to know about you, Herb. <laughs> Herb totally misses that one. She's calling him trivial. He's just happy thinking she knows anything about him. Herb walks towards Art's office asking if Sparky is in the office. Art tells Herb Sparky is busy with Andy. Herb opens the door anyway without knocking. Hey, Sparky, I know you're busy, but uh, think one word. Trivia. Goodbye, Herb. Before shutting the door, Herb has to get in one more question. He's trying to be funny. Why the white hair? <laughs> Just kidding. Get out. Absolutely. <laughs> really, you guys are doing a great job. They've had enough. The door is slammed in Herb's face. Now, I don't know. I think Big Dick might have had an idea there. <laughs> I like the trivia car. The yeah, trivia... You just like saying Big Dick. That's what you like saying. <laughs> But I think it'd be a good idea to do that. And maybe not two hours worth, but a little segment. Herb turns to Carlson and tells him what a great idea it was to bring Sparky on. That Sparky is an asset around here, big guy. Carlson tells him that it's not working and that he made a mistake. I'm thinking exactly. I love how Herb's opinions can always turn on a dime. Les comes in the lobby in a great mood. What a day. I love oxygen. Loves that oxygen. Do any of you remember dreams? Okay, this is just the weirdest segment. Herb says he does. He then goes on to share this very strange and uncomfortable recurring dream he has. I keep having the same one over and over again. You see, I'm a little kid and I walk into my parents' bedroom and my dad says, get out. And then this monster comes out and grabs him and takes him away. And then I crawl into bed and lie next to my mother. Stupid, isn't it? Jennifer agrees. It is stupid, but also... Kind of embarrassing. Herb's dream is textbook Oedipus complex. And pretty disturbing. This was a Sigmund Freud concept. It was Freud's theory that a child has a natural and unconscious sexual desire for the opposite sex parent. They also have a hatred for the same sex parent to the point of fantasizing that the same sex parent might be killed. Les's dream, though, is just weird. He continues <laughs> telling about the dream he had last night. He says it was about a new show for Sparky, but it really wasn't. Art wants to hear about it. Les explains they were all discussing this 
new show for Sparky, except that Mr. Carlson didn't look like himself. You look much more like a large muffin. Herb gets a big laugh out of that. Muffin? Yes, a nice breakfast muffin. Les keeps it going, and he says in his dream, Art, as the muffin, had an exciting announcement, which he sang. I'm a big fat muffin that loves to eat. A big fat muffin that has no feet. But most of all, I'm a big fat muffin that loves to explode. And then you dip. <laughs> An exploding muffin. And in the IMDb entry for this episode, Lest is listed as uncredited on the soundtrack for singing the exploding muffin song. <laughs> so with a satisfied look, Les leaves the lobby, heading back to the bullpen, and Jennifer is just laughing out loud. That was weird. The phone rings in the lobby. Still laughing, Jennifer picks it up. It's Mama. Don't sh- I'm not here. Yes, you are. Oh, Jennifer. Jennifer makes him take the call. Carlson starts talking to his mother, telling her that Cal Owens is still behind the show and it's getting better every day. Sparky and Andy come out of the office. Hey, Art, I think I got something here. Art forgets he's on the phone and absentmindedly hangs it up. He's anxious to hear Sparky's idea. He has hung up on Mama. You just hung up on your mother. Oh, boy. I'm hating to think of the repercussions of that move. So Sparky tells Carlson that he thinks the reason for the low number of calls coming in during his show is because the people of Cincinnati don't know him. And I think if I'd reminisce, talk about my childhood, and open up to the people, I think we'd have a winner. Right, Andy? Uh-huh. Andy nods his head, saying, uh-huh. But his facial expression and body language say otherwise. Sparky excitedly goes back into the office to start writing down some of his childhood memories. Andy tells Art it's not going to work. I've been thinking, Andy, and, and I think that we... Uh, you mean you? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I possibly could have made a... a, a Mistake. Right, and uh, that means that one of us is going to have... You mean you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to go in there, and I'm going to have to... Fire him. (laughs) Don't don't say that word. (laughs) Yeah, but that's... uh... That's what you're going to have to do. Carlson goes over and knocks on his office door, then goes in. Is Sparky back, man? Sure, have a seat. Sparky Anderson was a well-known smoker of pipes, cigars, and cigarettes. Keep an eye out in this scene. Sparky has a pack of smokes in his left breast pocket of that blue sweater that he's wearing sometimes. In some of the shots, you can see it. In other shots, it's not there. Everybody around here has been busting their butts for me. It's nice to be appreciated. Carlson tries to lead into what he feels is going to be an awkward and difficult conversation. Radio, I guess, kind of boring. You probably think it's a waste of time. Sparky asks him if there's something he wants to talk about. Art tries to get into a baseball analogy for what he wants to say, but it's really not working. Is there something you want to talk to me about? Well, Art finally gets it out. I mean, you're you're great, but your show's not, and I'm afraid I'm going to have to... Say it. Fire you. Now that's a word I understand. Art tells Sparky he feels bad about it and feels like it's all his fault. Sparky tells Carlson that he has something he wants to talk to him about. He walks toward Carlson. You're not going to hurt me, are you? No. Sparky tells Carlson, no, he wants to thank him. He explains that he's had to fire a lot of people in his time, many just 18-year-old kids. When you tell them they can't do it, They think you're talking about life. Well, really, all you're talking about is second base. P.J. Tarakvi said that this story about what it means to fire someone came directly from Sparky, almost word for word. Sparky goes on to say that when you run a team, you have to make decisions. You had to make a decision today. You had to fire me. You know something? You were right. Art's relieved to hear this, but then he asked Sparky... What's he going to do? Les called the network brass, and they thought I'd be perfect for television. Ah, Les helping out. (laughs) Sparky thanks Art, then adds, I'm sitting here thanking the man that canned me. I must be nuts. Every time I come into this town, I get fired. (laughs) Carlson apologizes again for it not working out. Sparky tells him if there's ever anything he can do for him, 
Just let him know. Can I be championship ring? No. <laughs> it does not take Sparky long to answer that one. The two of them start laughing and they uh, put their arms around each other as the screen fades to black. We come back with a capper scene. We're in the bullpen and Herb is at his desk reading a book when Carlson enters and makes his way over to Les's desk. He knocks on Les's door by clicking his heels together as he wraps his knuckles on the imaginary door. Les does not respond. Carlson yells through the door. Les, will you speak to me? Is it important? Carlson tells him he thinks it is. <sighs> Come in, then. Art opens Les's door, walks in, and leans down on Les's desk. I wanted to come over and tell you that I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I went with a free agent, and we had the talent right here. Carlson tells Les he still thinks the syndicated sports show is a great idea. It's just a, a question of the right man. You had the right man. It was the idea that was a dog. <laughs> we see Herb reading a book as he cuts in on the conversation. Spark in Nessman or pals. Herb is reading How to Sell Anything to Anybody by Joe Girard. Joe Girard was born in 1928. This is Joe Girard's first book. He wrote five books about sales. When he was 35, Joe walked into a Detroit car dealership and begged the sales manager for a job. He sold a car his first day. He was so good, by his second month, the other salesmen complained to the point that they got him fired. At his next job, Marola Chevrolet in East Point, Michigan, Gerard would set sales records for the next 15 years. He was recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the seller of the most cars of the year in 1973. He sold one 1,425 cars in a single year. He sold a total of 13,001 cars in 15 years. In order to keep the pace for his record-setting year, Gerard was selling 120 cars a month on average. That's about five sales each day. The average output for a car salesman in a month is usually total sales of 10 units. Joe Girard died in 2019 from medical complications after a fall. Smiling, Les tells Herb that he's just jealous because he didn't get a ball. Les is tossing a signed baseball up and down as he says this. Les reads the autographed ball. To my pal. Les Nessman. Carlson catches the ball and sees Sparky's autograph on it. Sparky Anderson. Les, I, I don't suppose that you... Les takes the baseball back and shakes his head. It's a match set. Huh? Goes with the ring. <laughs> he flashes the championship ring that is on his finger at Mr. Carlson. In 2021, you can find autographed Sparky Anderson baseballs on eBay. They'll run you anywhere from about 100 to $300. If you shop sports memorabilia shops where the signed balls come with certificates of authenticity, the price jumps to about $500 for a Sparky signed baseball. And that's going to do it for Sparky. Donna, what's up for next week? Next week, we're going to be discussing God Talks to Johnny. Johnny wakes in the middle of the night, thinks he hears someone, and he determines it is God speaking to him. His performance on the radio in the morning is changed because he is touched by God and he wants to spread the word to everyone. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRP cast. Got a question, comment or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRPcast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!